So my father taught, uh, for many years, he taught pastors how to study the Bible. And I remember one time I, I went and I asked him, um, what's most important in trying to understand a passage of Scripture? What's, what's most important in understanding a passage? And, and he thought for a moment and he said, it's figuring out the author's train of thought, his, his flow of thought. Because biblical authors, really any author, they don't just give random thought, another random thought, another random thought, or a random event, random event, random event, but, but the thoughts have a, a flow. There's, he's going somewhere, and the events have a flow. They're going somewhere. There's some point that the author is seeking to make. And so this week, we're going to be covering Exodus 17 and 18, a big chunk of Scripture. And I want to start by giving you the big picture of what I think the flow of thought is in these two chapters. So here's a picture. I apologize, you can't read this all that clearly. I made a mistake. Um, I'll read it to you, though, so that you can figure out what those scribbles are up there. In chapter 7, verse 1, through chapter 15, verse 21, we see God miraculously delivering Israel from their slavery in Egypt with powerful signs and wonders. And then God parts the Red Sea, so Israel can go across on dry land, and then God closes up the Red Sea again, destroying Pharaoh's armies. And so in that first section, we see God miraculously delivering Israel from Egypt. It's just stunning what God does to free them. But what is so shocking then is this next section, chapter 15, verse 22, through chapter 17, verse 7, where Israel is full of unbelief and grumbling and complaining. It's shocking. Even though Israel sees God turning bitter water into sweet water, miraculously, and providing manna every morning, miraculously, and the meat of quail every night, miraculously, and then in today's passage, seeing God provide or make water flow out of a rock, miraculously. So even though Israel has seen all these mighty works that God has done, they continue to be full of unbelief and bitterness and accusing God of taking them out into the wilderness to kill them all. And remember, this is the people of Israel, God's chosen people. And so at this point, we readers should be wondering, what's God going to do about this? I mean, this is shocking and tragic. And so what's God going to do? How's he going to respond? And the answer is in the next three sections. First answer. In chapter 17, verses 8 through 16, God shows Moses the power of prayer. Power of prayer. Second, in chapter 18, verses 1 through 12, God shows Moses the power of sharing God's word. And then third, in chapter 18, verses 13 through 27, God frees Moses' time so he can pray and share God's word with the people of Israel. So that's the big picture. That's like the overall flow of thought through this section. So now what I want to do is just go back and, and focus on, on the individual sections that are in chapter 17, verse 1, all the way through the end of verse 18. So in chapter 17, 1 through 7, what we see is that the people of Israel are still, they're continuing to grumble and quarrel. So start with verse 1, and you'll see this for yourself. All the congregation of the people of Israel 
moved on from the wilderness of sin. By the way, that's not sin like as in doing something bad. That's just the name of a place in Hebrew, okay? Moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Now, they'd faced this before, right? And God had provided, right? Here they are again, no water. What happens? Verse 2, therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Now remember, throughout these verses, when you hear the, the phrase, the people, it's that the people are grumbling, the people are quarreling. It's not just a few of them. This is most of Israel. Even though they've seen miracle after miracle after miracle, God's flawless faithfulness to them. They are now free. They're no longer slaves. Even though they've seen all of that, the vast majority are unbelieving, and they're angry, even to the point where Moses is fearing for his life. So feel what's happening here spiritually amongst the people of Israel. Not all of them, but the vast majority of them. Okay, keep reading. Verse 5. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand there before you, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means quarrel, because the quarreling because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So here it is again. Grumbling, quarreling, full of unbelief. Even though they've seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Grumbling, quarreling, unbelief. Moses is fearing for his life. So the question that begs to be answered is, what's God going to do? How's God going to respond? And today's passage gives three answers. Very powerful when you, when you think about this. First answer is this. God shows Moses the power of prayer. Verse 8, chapter 17. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Who's Amalek? Amalek is the great, 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 great grandson of Esau. Remember Esau? Jacob's twin brother. So Esau and his descendants um, had turned from God. They were living in southern Canaan. And here Amalek, who's now the leader, great, 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 great grandson of Esau, Amalek and the Amalekites are attacking Israel. So what happens? Verse 9. So Moses said to Joshua, here Joshua shows up on the scene. First time we read about Joshua. Moses says to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow 
I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Okay, now, lifting up his hand or hands throughout the Old Testament, that's a picture of prayer, New Testament as well. You'll take your hands saying, God, help us. God, we need you. God, strengthen Joshua and these men. Protect them, we ask you. So whenever hands were raised, there was prayer going on. That's a picture. And when Moses held up his hands in prayer, Joshua and his men prevailed against the Amalekites. And whenever Moses lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. Now, just imagine how this would have impacted you if you were Moses. Okay, you, you, you lift your hands in prayer. Father, pour out your power upon Joshua and these soldiers right now. Help them, protect them, give them skill, give them grace. And as you pray that, Joshua, and they're just fighting, they're prevailing. And then, I've got to take a break. All of a sudden, I'm back again. Oh, God, God, please help. We need your power. Come. Oh, they're prevailing again. And you're watching that your prayer is touching God's heart and moving him to work. There is a direct cause-effect relationship between your prayer up on the mountain and what's happening with the soldiers down in the valley. That's what's going on here. So if you were Moses, you'd be thinking, okay, this is really powerful. God really does answer prayer. This is clear. Whenever I pray, advance. When I stop, don't advance. Keep reading, verse 12. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun all day long. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So they, they helped Moses keep his hands up throughout the rest of the day. He kept praying until the sun went down, which is why Joshua and his men overwhelmed Amalek and his soldiers. Now, I just want you to notice something, the way that this is written here, and that is this passage does not focus on the battle that's happening down in the valley. It focuses on the prayer that's happening up on the mountain. Did you catch that? It doesn't go into detail. Then Joshua did this and the soldiers said, no, no, no. It's Moses. Hands are up. Hands down. The focus is on what's happening up on the mountain because that's where the battle is really being fought. That's where the power is. That's where the advances or the retrenchments take place. That's where the action is. The battle is fought and won on the mountain of prayer more than in the battle of, ba- of, of uh, the valley of battle. Let me say that again. The battle is fought and won on the mountain of prayer more so than in the valley of battle. Now let's apply this to our lives today. Think about this. The battle to strengthen your faith, to overcome temptation, to fight off discouragement, disappointment. The, the battle in terms of your own faith is fought and won on the mountain of prayer. That's where it's fought and won. The battle to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ, 
to see someone who's drifting drawn back, to see someone who's going through trials encouraged and not feeling hopeless. The battle to encourage your brothers and sisters is fought and won on the mountain of prayer. That's where the battle is fought and won. The battle to see lost people here in Abu Dhabi coming to faith in Jesus Christ, set free from the powers of darkness, brought into trusting Christ. That battle is fought and won on the mountain of prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. That's what Moses saw that day. That's what God wants us to see today. And then look at what God tells Moses to do in verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. See, on that day, Amalek was overwhelmed, but he was not destroyed. The Amalekites were not destroyed that day. Joshua would face him again. And so Moses tells Joshua, God will ultimately prevail. The Amalekites will be conquered completely. And we can tell that this whole event deeply impacted Moses because look at what he does next. Moses has learned something about prayer. Verse 15, and Moses built an altar, built an altar, and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. That's a picture of prayer. I'm going to keep my hand on, on, the, on the throne of the Lord because the Lord's going to be having war with Amalek from generation to generation. The battles are going to be continuing. I'm going to keep my, my hand on the throne of the Lord in prayer. Let's think about that phrase, the Lord is my banner. An army would have a banner that would symbolize the nation, the leaders behind them. And so when a soldier would look at the banner, they would get inspiration. That's the power that's behind us. Let's keep fighting. That's, that's the power that's backing us up here. But notice that Moses' banner is the Lord himself. So Moses looks to the Lord. That's who's behind him. That's who's empowering him. That's who's going to be working on his behalf. It's God's power that wins the battles. And so he's saying, I'm going to keep praying because we're going to keep having battles from generation to generation. And I love this picture of prayer as putting your hand on the altar, on the altar, on the throne of God. Very powerful what Moses says here. This is what's true for us when we pray. Picture it like this. When when we draw near to God in Jesus' name, not coming because of our own self-righteousness, what good we've done, but understanding that we're coming in Jesus' name. We're relying on his death to forgive us for our sins. We're relying on his perfect righteousness to cover our remaining sin. When we come in Jesus' name, we can come so close to God, it's like we're right there at his throne and we have a hand on, on his throne. Father, help us. Father, strengthen my faith. Father, encourage my wife. Father, help, help this brother in my home group or this sister who's struggling. Father, save my manager. Save this neighbor who needs Christ so desperately. 
We're that close to the Lord. We're there. Our hand is on his throne. So later today when you pray, tomorrow when you pray, picture this. As as you draw near to God in Jesus' name, you are right before the throne. And the king is on that throne. And and you you can touch the throne. Help. Help me. Come at work. He, he smiles. Yes, yes, I will. What a beautiful picture of prayer. Your hands on the throne of the Lord. Okay, so we're asking, what does God do about Israel's unbelief, rebellion, quarreling? And, and the first thing we see is that God shows Moses the power of prayer. So Grace Church lets us learn this as well. Let's learn this morning more about the power of prayer. God answers prayer. The more we pray upon the mountain, the more we will prevail in the battle. The more we pray on the mountain, the more we will prevail in the battle. So God shows Moses the power of prayer. But that's not all. Secondly, God shows Moses the power of sharing God's word. This is beautiful. Verse 1 of chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian. Remember Jethro, priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law. So Joseph married Zipporah, Jethro's daughter. So Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, just pause there. Now, I want to let it sink in. He was a priest of Midian. Okay, the Midianites were worshiping idols, false gods, horrible religious practices amongst the, the Midianites. But Jethro had heard of all that God had done in delivering Israel from Egypt. So keep reading, verse 2. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he, Moses, had sent her home, along with her two sons. Moses and Zipporah had two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he, Moses said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he, Moses said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So by highlighting the names of both of Moses' Sons, the author is reminding us that Moses had been a sojourner in Midian for 40 years. Remember that story early, earlier in the book of Exodus? But God had helped him and delivered him and the people from Pharaoh. So this reminder, what, had, what Moses had been through and what God had done in helping him. Then verse 5. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his, Moses, two sons and his wife, to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. When that happened, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told Underline that word, keep that word in mind, told, very important word here, told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. 
Now again, that word told there in verse 8, that's the same word used back in Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, where God says he wants his name proclaimed, told, same Hebrew word, throughout all the earth. Look at what God says to Pharaoh, Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. God says to Pharaoh, But for this purpose, Pharaoh, I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed. Same word, proclaimed in all the earth. So Moses, in chapter 17, is doing exactly the same thing that God had urged to happen as a result of what God did in delivering Israel from Egypt. Moses is proclaiming to Jethro God's greatness. He's proclaiming to Jethro the truth about who God is. He's, he's sharing with Jethro the gospel. Now, it's, it's not the full gospel that we know now. We're living after the time of Jesus. We see much more clearly how our sins are forgiven. But he was still sharing the gospel before in the Old Testament. He was sharing with Jethro about God's power and God's faithfulness and God's mercy and God's forgiveness of sinful people all by faith alone in what God would do through the Messiah. So he was sharing God's word. He was proclaiming what God had done to Jethro. And how does Jethro respond? This is amazing. Here's this priest of Midian. Don't, don't forget that. Verse 9, And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that God had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord. Now that word Lord there, it's all caps. That's the word Yahweh. This is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is not the God of Midian. Blessed be Yahweh, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is greater than all gods. Whoa. Powerful statement for a priest of Midian. Because in this affair, they, the Egyptians, dealt arrogantly with the people. And then get this, verse 12. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. He's worshiping. Burnt offering, sacrifices. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So Jethro rejoices in God. He sees that Israel's God is greater than all the gods, which means he's turning from his idols and false gods, and he worships the true God with offerings and sacrifices. And then they have like a, a fellowship meal before God he, with, the, with the elders. So all the evidence here points to the fact that, that Jethro has come to faith. He has been saved from his sins. He's been born again. He's trusting the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And how did that change happen in Jethro? Well, he did hear through the grapevine about what happened, but then Moses told him all that God had done, all of God's mighty works, God's mercy, God's power, God's faithfulness, told him, shared the gospel with him, the Old Testament gospel. And Jethro was saved. So we're asking the question, what does God do about Israel's unbelief? And we've seen two answers so far. One, 
God shows Moses the power of prayer. And now secondly, God shows Moses the power of sharing God's word. God's word changes Jethro's heart. Now, why is it so important that Moses learn about the power of prayer and the power of sharing God's word? Why is that so important? I think that's answered in the third thing that God does. Third, God frees Moses' time so he can pray and share God's word with people. Let's go through the section. See if you agree that that's what's going on here. Verse 13, the next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law, this is Jethro, saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. See, every day, Moses had the people who were having disputes and conflicts bring their problem to him. He would listen, make a decision in terms of you know, who was right, who was wrong. But the problem was there were over a million Israelites and one Moses. So day after day after day, he's surrounded by these people. I mean, the queue would have been long. And from morning until evening, he's dealing with these. And then the next day, the same. Next day, the same. This is what Moses was doing with seemingly all of his time. So Jethro, who's come to faith, has godly wisdom now, tells Moses what to do. Keep reading. Verse 19. This is Jethro talking. Moses, my son-in-law, now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. Here's two different aspects of prayer. Moses is to represent the people before God. That means he should pray for the people of Israel. He should pray for all the people of Israel, lifting them up to the Lord, pleading with God on their behalf, Father, work in their hearts. He's representing the people before God. And then a second part of their prayers, he should bring the individual cases before God, asking God for wisdom. So Moses should be praying, representing all the people before God, pleading for them, and then asking God for wisdom about the individual cases. But there's more that Moses should be doing. Verse 20, and Moses, you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So Moses must teach God's word to the people, the word of God. Then here's the problem. How's Moses going to be praying for the people of Israel and teaching God's word to Israel if morning to evening every day he's being inundated with these disputes needing to make calls as to who's right and who's wrong. And God uses Jethro to give Moses the answer. Verse 21, Jethro's still talking. Moreover, Moses, my son-in-law, 
Look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all the peop- this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel, made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. This was wise counsel from Jethro to Moses. Moses had trustworthy men handle the smaller cases, delegated all of that out. The harder ones that they couldn't figure out, they brought to him. What that would do is it would give Moses time to represent the people before God in prayer, He would still deal with some of the harder cases, asking God wisdom about those, but he would be praying, representing the people before God in prayer, and teaching the people how to walk in the law of the Lord, how to follow God's word, what the truth of God is. Very powerful. So again, we're asking the question, what did God do about Israel's unbelief, their complaining, their grumbling, their bitterness? It's very interesting what God does. First, he teaches Moses about the power of prayer. That would motivate Moses to spend some time figuratively on the mountaintop praying for God's people. Secondly, God showed Moses the power of sharing God's word. That would have motivated Moses to share God's word with all the people of Israel. And then third, God frees Moses' time so he can pray and share God's word with the people. So there's the big picture. That's the train of thought going on here. So I just prayed, then I said, Lord, now, what does this mean for us here at Grace Church? How do we apply this? And I thought of three applications, and then I just want to give, after that, a closing word about what this shows us about God. But here's three applications that I would encourage you to ponder and and take home with you and think about. First is, let's pray for each other and for those who don't yet know Christ. Remember, when we're praying up on the mountain, God is working in the battle. Remember that. So let's devote time to prayer for each other and for those who aren't yet trusting Christ. So think about it. When this next week will you spend time praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ, for your family, wife, husband, children, parents, home group, lost people, people who aren't yet trusting Christ, when this next week will you be up on the mountain with your hands raised, praying for God's people? By the way, we do have to lower our hands, right? And like go work our jobs sometimes, right? And, and sleep sometimes. So God is gracious. It's not that everything's going to collapse the moment you stop praying. Okay, we just pray as much as we can. That's the idea. That's the lesson from this. 
That's first, pray for each other and those who don't yet know Christ. Second, let's share God's word with each other and with those who don't yet know Christ. Okay, when Moses shared God's word with Jethro, God birthed faith in Jethro's heart. God strengthened his faith, Jethro's faith. And the same will happen as you share God's word with your husband, with your wife, with your children, with your parents, with those in your home group. And when you share God's word with lost people, that's, that's the power that God uses to open hearts of lost people to be trusting Christ. So let's share God's word with each other and those who don't yet know Christ and ask yourself, when this next week are you going to do that? When this next week will you share God's word? Third takeaway. I just thought, are you part of a home group yet? Or if you are part of a home group, are you really part of that home group? Are you, are you seeking your roots in deep with those people? Because our home groups, groups of about 8 to 20 people, we are committing in our home groups to be praying for each other and sharing God's word with each other. You need a group of people who are praying for you on a regular basis. You need a group of people who are sharing God's word with you on a regular basis. So if you're not part of a home group, I would encourage you, visit some. And we've got a home group. I made a list. Downtown home group, Officers Club home group, Shabia home group, Muhammad bin Zayed City home group, the Al Rihanna home group, Al Raha Beach home group, the Al Raha Gardens home group, the Yaz Island home group, and the youth home group. Visit a home group. Or if you're already part of a home group, and you know Zoom is just not the same with home groups as it is face-to-face, -face. it's hard, right? That's all right. The word will be shared. Your faith will be strengthened. People will pray. You will grow. It'll be of great benefit to you. So become part of a home group so you can receive prayer in God's words. There, there's three takeaways. Now, one more thought. And I want to leave us with this. Think of what this shows us about God. Israel, for the most part, the vast majority, had been rebelling, unbelieving, complaining, dishonoring God. But notice what God does for them. He's patient. He teaches Moses about prayer, teaches Moses about the power of God's word, frees Moses' time, so he can pray for them and teach God's word. In other words, God is patient with Israel. Do you see how patient he is? This is amazing. Amazing. How loving God is toward Israel. How compassionate God is toward Israel. And when any Israelite then, as a result of Moses praying and Moses teaching God's word, would have said, what are we doing grumbling and complaining? Father, forgive me. I'm so sorry. God would welcome that Israelite with open arms and forgiveness. No problem at all. You're back home. Welcome back. And this is what our Jesus does for us because of the cross. So see God's patience. See God's love. See God's tender mercies towards us. And never hesitate to turn back to God when you see that you've been drifting and have been sinning. Because of Christ, the Father's arms are open wide and he's ready to receive you. He is a holy God. He is a merciful God. He is a gracious God. Run back to him. Time after time after time again. Let's stand together. I want to pray.
We worship you. Patient God. Kind. Tender, mercy, compassionate God. We see it displayed here. We love you, Lord. We worship you. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us to pray for each other. I pray that you'd strengthen us to share the word with each other and lost people. And I pray, Lord, that you would give more and more of us the joys of being part of a community where we are being prayed for and having the word shared with us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.